invite you to turn your Bibles this morning with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We've been talking this month about the importance of having a servant's heart. Uh, last week we looked at uh, the testimony of John the Baptist, how he said that Jesus, he must increase, he must grow greater, I must decrease. And so we are looking today at the ultimate example of humility, the ultimate example of a servant's heart, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this passage, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word if you're able to. So in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. The Word of God says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Very important passage as we look at the ultimate servant, Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you again for your word. And as we look into it, I pray that our hearts and lives will be challenged, Lord, to follow you, to follow your example, and to be a servant, to serve you, to serve others, Lord, and that your name would be exalted. So, Father, we just ask that you be in our midst today. May your Holy Spirit guide us into all truth, as is promised. And, Lord, we just ask your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're going to begin looking here in Philippians chapter 2, but we're going to look at a couple other passages as well and kind of looking at the example of Christ as a servant. And when we talk about a servant's heart, uh, again, what an important message that is uh, for, for us that we would have the heart of a servant. There's much that's been said about uh, servant, even servant leadership, and that's sometimes been downplayed, uh, for example. But the idea is really is to put others before you is the idea. And this is really what Christ did as well. Uh, kind of to illustrate that, some years ago, our family had the opportunity to visit Vienna, Austria. We had some dear friends who lived in Vienna, worked for the State Department there, and we would uh, actually, a couple times of the year, we would usually uh, go over and stay with them for about a week or so. And, and so in Vienna, it's a very, one of our favorite towns, very favorite cities in the world. But in Vienna, we were able to see some of the palaces of the Habsburg monarchy, the Habsburg dynasty, the longest reigning European monarchs. Uh, that was there. And so one of the palaces that you find in Vienna is called the Schönbrunn. The Schönbrunn is, was actually the summer palace of the Habsburgs. Uh, they had what was known as the Kaiser Apartments. That's the main one downtown. But in the Schönbrunn, this was actually, believe it or not, it was a hunting lodge. Uh, if you want to Google it later, guys, uh, this was not your normal shack up, up north. This was a huge room. Let me explain. This palace from a hunting lodge became expansive and became just a beautiful palace and has 1,441 rooms. All right, talk about a hunting lodge, right? <laughs> but uh, today, you can go there today, and uh, the, the Habsburgs, they lived there basically up until the 1950s, and after that, it was basically turned over, basically it's open to the public now, and there are about 40 to 45 rooms that are available open to the public that you can go through, and it is amazing just the history of that place. Among the many noted people who lived there or visited there was uh, Mozart, 
Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, at the age of six, performed a concert for the Empress Maria Theresa there. It was also Napoleon who actually married one of the Habsburg daughters, uh, who uh, actually had basically half of that palace to himself as a headquarters for a period of time as he reigned. Um, really interesting story about Napoleon and his life there. But nonetheless, a lot of famous people came and went throughout history. But one thing, though, in regarding the history and the opulence and the beauty of that place, of the Schoenbrunn, was what caught my attention, my wife's attention, was these little secret doors that were periodically placed around the, 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 the palace, if you will. And uh, these were secret doors or secret passageways, and these were meant mainly for the servants. Uh, during the height of the Habsburg dynasty that, that was there, there was actually over 1,000 servants that waited on that property. A thousand, you can imagine having over 1,400 rooms, you're going to need probably that many servants. Okay, And so having over 1,000 servants, they would tend to the needs of the Habsburg families and their special guests. However, the, the servants tried to remain inconspicuous as they went about their duties. You will find as you go through the Schoenbrunn, that uh, there were different uh, stoves and heaters, and they were never uh, fed the wood from the outside. They were always fed from behind. And so there were secret passageways where the servants would take the wood or the coal or whatever they had, and they would go behind, out of sight of everyone, and that's how they would stoke the fires and keep the stoves going, keeping that huge palace uh, clean and, and, and uh, warm and things like that. And so they were. They had many different secret passages, hallways, and closets, and it connected to the different rooms of the palace. Uh, by the way, it wasn't just the servants who uh, used those. Also, some of the royal family also used it to get away from certain guests or other people in the family that they didn't want to see at that particular moment. So it came in handy. But nonetheless, it was specially used for the servants, so their service would be more or less not seen very often. And that's the idea. And so... Their work, the servants' work, eased the lives of the royal family and the work of the Austrian Empire. And what kind of caught my attention, my wife's attention, as we saw this place, was that the servants of the Schoenbrunn really illustrate the greatness, the calling of greatness in Christ's kingdom as well. As servants of the Lord, we are called to do something even greater, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works, but more so glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think it's interesting, the testimony of servanthood is really that we do our work really not to be seen. A true servant does your work really not to be seen of men, not to be noticed per se, but to basically just simply do what the Lord has asked us to do, do what your master was, uh, has for us. And so in order to do this, to be great in Christ's kingdom, we are to serve. And that begins with the heart. Having a servant's heart then is really to have the heart of Christ. And that's the idea. Okay? So let's look at a few examples of Christ as well. How do then we have a servant's heart? We first of all see it here in Philippians chapter 2. And looking at, again, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Having the mindset of Christ, if you will, the heart of Christ. How do we have that Christ? And actually, earlier on in that, that chapter, the first four verses... It talks about having love and having fellowship with one another. And it says here in verse chapter 2, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy that be like-minded, having the same love, and being one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And that really is what servant service is all about. Looking to the needs of others that are around you. 
And how do we do it? How do, how do we have that same mind and that same love for, for one another? How do we do that for those around us? And that is part and parcel of having the mind of Christ, having the heart of Christ. And what does that look like? What does it mean to serve others? Jesus did it on a, a grand way. It says in verse 6, who Jesus, being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God. And verse 7 is kind of the key to this. He says here, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We know that Jesus was the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when we see here uh, Jesus Christ, who basically became the form of a servant, this idea of taking the form of doesn't mean he was replaced as that, but basically that he added to himself. He took, basically immersed or poured himself into service is the idea. And in, in verse 8, explains a little bit more. And being found in fashion or the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So when we look at this, Jesus, his service was the ultimate service as well. The servant's heart of Jesus Christ was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. Here is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is the one who took our place for our sin on the cross, dying in our place for us. Talk about a servant. This is the ultimate example of service of servanthood. So Jesus took on the form of a servant. That, that phrase right there that we have in verse 7 here, the idea is this, that Jesus took on the form of a servant. This involves sacrifice and responsibility. To be a servant, a true servant of the Lord, requires sacrifice. Did you know this? And I was thinking about this this week as I was shoveling snow, as maybe all. Sometimes service hurts, right? Service hurts. Uh, if if I don't say it, my son Ben will tell everyone else, okay? So what happened was this on whatever day it was, Thursday, snow blew on my driveway and all that, and all of a sudden I hit a patch of ice, and I went down, I gashed my knee really good and hit my rear side, and anyways, I am still sore today. Ben there, done that, took a picture. It's like Minnesota rights, you know, understand that, right? You understand that. My, fortunately, my neighbor was across the street at the moment, just waved him. I couldn't get up off the ground. I, I was just kind of stunned. My back was stunned. He helped me up and was able to kind of push through it and continue the day. Guess what? Service hurts sometimes, right? It's not meant to be easy. But as we think about this, and I thought to myself a little bit later, and it was I studying this message, whatever hurt that we have in service, whatever discomfort we may experience in service, it's nothing to be compared with the sacrifice that our Lord gave in his service to us. That's a humbling thought when you think about that. Our Lord spared no expense demonstrating his heart of a servant. And with that service comes a responsibility. Jesus Christ came to do the will of him that sent him. He did the will of the Father. He came to die on the cross for each and every one of us. By the way, that great offer that he has is salvation that's given to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It's the power of God that changes lives. I must ask this morning as we go into this message here, having the service, Jesus Christ as a servant came and died for you in your place. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have questions about that, what it means to be saved. Jesus, good news is Jesus came to die for you, to take your punishment, to take your sins upon himself, and he nailed it to the cross. Praise God for that. Praise God he didn't stay dead. 
He was buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead, triumphant over sin and over death. So, folks, there is hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. And I urge you to turn to him. But as we see from the life of Christ, the key to having a servant's heart is humility. Verse 8 says, Being found in fashion of man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. That's that service and sacrifice right there, that responsibility. The key to having a servant's heart is humility. It's very hard, maybe people at the Schoenbrunn or maybe other palaces that come to your mind, sometimes it's the attitude of a servant that really helps us understand this. A lot of, there's a lot of servants, maybe people that you work with, for example, hope it be not, never said of you that, man, that person is a servant with a stinky attitude. <laughs> they go about the grumbling, complaining. When the boss is around, of course, they put a smile on their face. But inwardly, they grumble and complain. That's not the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant is humility. Doing what the will of the master says. The Bible teaches that huge, true humility, though, is a voluntary act of selfless service. That's the idea. True humility is the voluntary act of selfless service. Some people associate humility with having good manners, but humility is much deeper than that. Like I said, it stems from a right attitude that focuses on the heart, the heart of Jesus Christ. Or let this mind or let this heart be in you, that of Christ Jesus. That's the idea from verse 5. So the result of this, what's the result of being truly humble before the Lord is that he will exalt us, even as Christ was exalted above all. That he was, in verse 9, God has exalted him, given him a name which is above every name. One day every name, every knee, every tongue will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But Jesus Christ also, those who follow him in like fashion, God also exalts. He that exalteth himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This is a very this is Christ's kingdom. It's backwards from our culture, where everyone's in a me first environment. Get to the front of the line, get to the top of the ladder, whatever it may be, get to the best promotion you can get, whatever salary you can get. We work towards that end. For what? For what purpose? That we would be seen of men? Folks, it's important that we have that heart of Christ. So having here a servant's heart is to have the mind of Christ. So we see here, this is the mind of a servant's heart, as we see here in Philippians chapter 2. But let's see Jesus Christ in action. How did this look in his life? We know he went to the cross for us, but what are other ways that Jesus demonstrated his service to us and to his own? Look with me back in the book of John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We enter here at this passage, the upper room. It was hours before Jesus was about to be betrayed. He was then tried, eventually given a cross, and he would die for our sins. But it was in the upper room in Jerusalem that night that Jesus spends the, the last Passover with his disciples. And as it begins here in John chapter 13, look with me beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour would come, they should part out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. In supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. And he riseth from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel and girded himself. And he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And we know kind of what happens after that. He starts washing the disciples' feet. So in this tradition, what's happened? Jesus here in the upper room, 
After supper was being ended, he girded himself with a towel. It's interesting what took place at this time. Uh, we know that this, this room was arranged maybe a little bit last minute, if you will. But nonetheless, here is Jesus and his disciples spending that, that evening together, the, the Passover, uh, and remembering, again, God's deliverance from, uh, from Egypt, again, by the hand of Moses as well. And here we have a prophet like unto Moses who's coming and presenting himself to his disciples. He's sharing a lot of truth here in the next couple chapters. But as he does this, this is what would happen during those times. If you had a special dinner, for example, uh, during that first century, it was usually the, the lowest servant, their responsibility to wash the feet of the guests that would come in. It was the lowest servant who would do that. But maybe because it was arranged in haste, no guests were to be found. No one was to be found. So who's going to do it? And so what would happen is this, that usually when they would sit around the Passover table, they, they sat at a what was called a triclinear table, meaning three-sided table, and you would lean, you wouldn't sit back on, you think of Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. That's not how it looked like, folks, okay? What happened was this. They basically laid on their sides. They reclined as free people now, free from the slavery of Egypt. And they would recline and remembering what God had done, and they would do that. So as you came across that table here, you would have those who would, uh, would lay, lay down. They would be on their side, and they would eat, and they would share the dip and the sop with the others. As you would do that, remember there was a certain disciple that leaned on Jesus' breast. His name is who? John. John the Beloved. He's doing that. So the first person in that line is John. Jesus is right behind him. And then who does he dip the sop with? Who does he dip the food with? Judas Iscariot. So Judas is right behind him. We know that from that. And then the other disciples follow. But then you go later on and you come to verse 6. Then he cometh to Simon Peter. So where's Peter? Most likely, can't prove this 100%, but most likely, Peter is at the very end of that table. He is the runt of the litter, so to speak. So in that culture, if you do not have a, a servant to wait on it, usually whoever sat on that last seat, it was their responsible to meet the needs of the others, washing the disciples, washing the others' feet. So Peter, if anyone, uh, should have been the one to start washing feet. But what, is, what happened? There's no servant around. They're just going to continue on. By the way, that was a sign of inhospitality in right there. So what happened is this. Jesus rises from supper, and he takes off his outer garment, and he puts on his belt a towel, and he begins to wash and wipe the disciples' feet with that towel. He begins to serve it. Here is the master. Here is the Lord coming to do it. Think of it like this way. You know, we don't really do foot washing per se in our culture today. But when someone comes to your house, usually you welcome them. You maybe offer to take their jacket, maybe offer them something to eat, something to drink, things like that. But what if you, if you went into the house and guess what? No one did that. Who's going to do that? You kind of just, everyone's standing there. You know, Minnesota nice, you know, is waiting, <laughs> waiting patiently, I guess you could say. But Jesus did exactly that. He was the one who took and he modeled humility, humble service right here. He was the one, the master is the one who washed the servant's feet, if you will. So as we see this here, Jesus picked up the towel. And here's the point. Even so, we are supposed to pick up the towel of humility. Look on later on in John 13. Jesus says here in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, this isn't talking about literal foot washing. There are some churches, some denominations that practice foot washing as an ordinance. We don't necessarily hold that there. But nonetheless, the principle is still the same. The principle is this, that we should wash or serve one another, even as Christ has served us. The principle is still the same. The thing is this, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Look at me in verse 16. Verily, verily, I send you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So Jesus Christ modeled a servant's heart. He was the one who took that towel and began to wash the feet. I meant to bring it this morning, but when I graduated from Bible college, we were given, of course, when we walked across the stage, we were given a diploma, but we were also given another towel. We were given a towel that said on it, be great, serve. We were given a towel as a a memento of service. No matter where the Lord would send us in the harvest fields of this world, that we would serve others as Christ has served us. It's a model. Having that servant towel, if you will. You see, having that towel was a mark of identity. It was this servant who had that towel ready on him whenever he did. By the way, how do you know the servant is working? How do you know the servant has done his job? You look at the towel, what does it look like? It's dirty, exactly. And that's the point of the matter. I think there's a lot of Christians who say they're servants, but their towel is clean as a whistle. Well, you just did laundry yesterday. No, that's not the point, okay? The idea is this, that our towel must be dirty. Is your towel of service dirty before the Lord? Have you been using that? That's a good, that's a good question for us today. He who has the dirtiest towel wins in God's kingdom. That's the idea, okay? So even as Christ picked up the towel, even so we must pick up the towel of humility, This act is not focusing on self, rather it's a focus on serving the Lord. I like what commentator Adam Clark said concerning this. The true glory of a Christian consists in being in his measure as humble as his Lord. So the glory of a Christian is to basically be as humble as the Lord himself. Follow the example of Jesus Christ. Having humility, that's always a gut check for each and every one of us. All of us deal with pride to some degree or another. But are we really focusing on serving the Lord, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and then loving our neighbor as ourself? You see here, how do you know someone is a servant or has a servant's heart? It's by known, they're known by their towel of selfless service. You might not have a physical towel per se, but does your life reflect selfless service for others? Be in your own home? I tell you what, I was thinking about this this week, that if, if you want to know what it means to be selfless, try having children, right? From the moment they're born, right, Drew and Jen? <laughs> From the moment they're born, you are serving them. You're at, their, you're at Evelyn's beck and call. You're at Elsbeth's beck and call. And we, uh, so it's amazing to see that. You, you are serving them. But you're much older. You, you graduated from high school, college, whatever. You have everything. And yet you're serving this little person. You have to change diapers and feed and do all this kind of stuff all the time. It's amazing. That really is a, a lot of humility because you are going beyond yourself to serve your children, your grandchildren, whatever it may be. Talk about this. That is a big dose of humility and all that. Well, you say, well, that's not my job. I've actually heard, I've seen this in marriage counseling when a couple get married and they're talking about having children, and I, one of the spouses says, well, I, I just I won't do diapers. I'll do everything. I won't do diapers. 
guess what? You're eventually going to do diapers, all right? And I tell you what, that doesn't humble a person, okay? So this is very important for us to model that as well, but not just in that life, serving your family, serving in your neighborhood, maybe at neighbors especially, I've heard in, in our neighborhood especially, uh, we had neighbors who came with their bobcat or their snowplow. They were sharing it amongst the neighbors with all the snow that we had this week. I actually heard of some other communities that, man, no one dared lift up a finger and help. Where's the Minnesota nice when you need it, okay? But I saw that. It's even, even with my own neighbor. He was there helping me out when I fell, okay? I definitely needed that. That was a service, and I thank the Lord for people like that in our place. How do we serve each other, even the local church, having needs around us? Uh, listening carefully for the needs around us and doing something about it. Uh, first of all, praying for them. Maybe give an encouraging call, a text, a letter, whatever it may be, whatever the Lord puts on your life, are we responding to that? This is something that we should be ready to do. I think very fondly of a man that was in our church in Israel. He worked for, mentioned our friend in Vienna. Before Vienna, he was in Tel Aviv with us. He was actually our song leader. His name is Jim. He, worked, he had a high-level position in the U.S. State Department at the embassy. And one thing I loved about Jim and his family is this, that whenever things came about in the church, they would be the first person, whenever we were done, we usually had to set up and take down uh, in our rented facility that we had. And their family was almost the first to grab a broom, grab a mop, grab cleaning supplies, wherever it be. And then they'd be working hard, the four of them, working hard, getting the place. And we had other people doing it too. It wasn't just them. But it marveled me. It made me marvel at Jim with his high-level position. I asked Jim one day, hey, Jim, have you met the president? He said, which one? He's been serving in, in foreign service since the early 80s. And so he's met about every person you could think of dignitary uh, from the U.S. government. He has this high-level position, but you know what? You would never know that by meeting him. He was the one who, who was almost the first one to grab a broom or grab a mop after the service is over. And that was just his heart. That was the family's heart, and they still do this to this day. You see, having a servant's heart is to model Christ, and that's exactly what our friend Jim did. I want us to go to one more passage today, though, talking about what is the ministry of a servant's heart. We talked about the mind of a servant's heart. We talked about the, the model of a servant's heart, Jesus Christ. Now, how do we put that into action? Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five, Paul is writing. Or excuse me, Peter is writing this epistle to believers who were facing persecution, and or about to face persecution. And he challenged them in these verses. Look at with me in verses uh, five and six. First Peter five verses five and six. He says, "Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you." In due time. So, as these believers, they came from different ages and different backgrounds, uh, but Peter, Peter expected them to place themselves under the care of each other. And really, it was mutual deference to each other. Um, and so, in this, the church was to be unified for the difficult days ahead. Peter then challenges them to be clothed with humility in verse 5. And the idea there is maybe from Peter's own memory of Jesus at the Last Supper rising and putting a a towel on. You see, the servant, it was the idea of tying that, that cloth around him, tying it tight, is the idea. And that was a part of the identity. To be clothed with humility is to basically take the identity of a servant, 
the identity of a slave, of the lowest slave, is the idea, and get to work for the Lord. Serve one another is the idea. Okay? So this is the idea. Identify their roles as a, their duty in the house. We are to follow then the example of Jesus and be clothed with humility as he did. By humility, Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Andrew Murray said this, The humble person is not one who thinks less of himself. He simply does not think of himself at all. That's very true. A humble person is not one who thinks less of themselves. They don't think of themselves at all. And that's example what, what happened with Jesus and what Peter is commanding here as well. Humility, as another commentator says, is humility before God leads to humility in our relations with other people. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's amazing what God will do with a humble person. Again, it's backwards from our culture, where everyone wants to get first place. Everyone gets the best job. But you know what? Maybe that's not God's plan for you. He simply wants you to be consistent and faithful where you are. Have that good attitude. Be that humble servant. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. This is a convicting passage. Listen carefully. Spurgeon said this. If there is a position in the church where the worker will have to toil hard and get no thanks for it, take it and be pleased with it. If you can perform a service which few will ever seek to do themselves, do it with holy delight. Covet humble work and be content to continue in it. There is no great rush after the lowest places. You will rob no one by seeking them. I think that's very applicable to what we're finding today as well. Put on that towel of service. And finally, there's a place of service. As believers, we are called to serve one another. The local church should demonstrate the humility of a servant's heart. And like I said, this runs countercultural to the me-first system of this world. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, though. I like what a missionary friend of mine who's serving in Africa and Zambia, he said this, Greatness is not measured by how many people are under you, but how many people you are serving. Think about that. Greatness is not measured by how many people are under you, but by how many people you are serving. That's a great lesson for us as well. Humility of a servant's heart begins when we place ourselves under the mighty hand of God. This, does not, this call does not bring a burden, but a blessing. When we humble ourselves, he will exalt us in due time. And by understanding and applying our role as a servant of Christ, we will bring eternal rewards. Uh, J. Oswald Smith, he wrote a book years ago called Spiritual Leadership. I don't know if anyone has ever read that book. It's a great, great read. It's a classic. But he wrote in this book, All real Christian service is but an expression of the spirit power through believers yielded to him. In other words, you're submitting ultimately to the Lord our, Jesus Christ. And let his Holy Spirit work for you. Real humility is spirit-led. Real servant leadership is done through the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. A servant's heart is to be emptied of self. By denying ourselves, we serve God and serve others. We follow the example of Christ. The natural man sees humility as a dead end of life. You're not going anywhere. Obedience to God, though, flows from a humble heart. In this, Christ is exalted above all. You see, it's not, our life is not about us. It's about Christ. What is our attitude in serving one another? When I was in Bible college, uh, our athletics department, I was very amazed. Uh, Coach Denny Scott uh, really instilled into the players, basketball players and others, uh, really an importance of what it meant to be a servant. And so what happened was this, that there was a banner that was placed in the gymnasium, and it simply said this, you are serving for an audience of one. 
That's Jesus Christ. It does not matter what the other team thinks. doesn't even matter what your coach thinks. People in the stands think. You have an audience of one. That's your Lord Jesus Christ. Very important for us. Our life is not about us. It's about Christ. There's just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. So even as Christ was exalted because of humility and obedience, we are called to humble ourselves before God. When God lifts up the humble, he will place them on a level where only he can. God takes a humble servant and he makes them great. That's God's kingdom. As Christ voluntarily picked up the towel and identified himself as a servant, we must humbly pick up our position as well, pick up our towel. Having a servant's heart is having the heart of Christ. How do you be great? You serve. How do you be great in this world? You serve. You serve our Lord and you serve others. How do you do it? With humility. This is a, always a challenging topic for all of us. Because why? Self gets in the way. It said, man, we try to preserve ourselves. Try to do, we look out for ourselves, obviously. We try to do what we can to make ourselves even look a little bit bigger, a little bit better. But in the economy of God, why? We, what, how should we work? We do it to make the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. Remember, light your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but really the purpose is to what? Glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Have a servant's heart. Be great. Serve. 